0: Hey, everyone, this is Diane Atwood, and you are listening to the Catching Your Memories podcast. Everybody has an inspiring story, a memory, or an experience to share. If only someone would ask. That's where I come in. In this episode, I have a conversation with Christina Erde, who has struggled with mental health issues ever since she was a child, beginning with anxiety. As she entered adulthood, she began to also experience serious depression. For many years, Christina's life was like a roller coaster. So too was her family's, as they tried to understand and cope with what was happening at any given moment. She's in a good place now, married for 16 years and the mother of two sons, 8 and 10. She was also recently chosen Mrs. Maine American 2022. Christina is a volunteer speaker and an affiliate committee member with NAMI Maine, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. She also uses her platform as Mrs. Maine American to help educate, raise awareness, and break the stigma of mental illness. In our interview, you will learn what was at the root of Christina's mental health issues and how she was finally able to become her own best advocate and then to share her story in the hopes of helping others. Welcome, Christina, to the Catching Your Memories podcast. I so appreciate that you're here today with us to share your story, which is pretty powerful.
1: Thank you so much for having
0: me today. Absolutely. I'd like to start with right now. How are you doing? What is your life like today?
1: I'm doing really well. Definitely, I think my story has made me into the person I am today. You know, Going through what I've been through was definitely difficult, but I've learned so much and I'm really hoping to be able to help others through sharing my story. So that's my main goal.
0: Okay. I was going to say, why are you sharing your story? but you want to help others. But does it help you as well to be sharing it? Have you learned things about yourself as you go out and share your personal story? Definitely. Yeah.
1: It's kind of neat because as I'm sharing mine, people feel that they're able to share theirs as well. So it's kind of neat seeing similarities, but also some things that other people have done that have helped them in turn, I've actually used some of those things. So yeah, I think I've even found somewhat of a community with as far as even in my support group that I'm a part of, especially, but even in other people that I've met, either through Facebook, or wherever they've heard my story, and they've ended up sharing a little bit about themselves. It's just really helped me continue to keep going and continue on my road to recovery. So
0: Well, let's go back to the beginning of your story. Where does your story begin?
1: You know, I started struggling with anxiety when I was a child. I had a really difficult time separating from my parents, especially when my friends would invite me to sleepovers, slumber parties. I was way too anxious to end up going. And so I often would miss out on some fun things that my friends would be doing. And whenever there was a change in our schedule, it would definitely bring on a lot of anxiety. And so I really began to feel like somewhat of an outcast in my family. You now, like, why don't my siblings feel the same way? And I remember my sister, I would have times where I couldn't sleep. My sister and I grew up sharing a room and I'd wake her up and be like, you know, I just, I can't sleep and I'm nervous. And she was just like, I I don't know what to do or what to tell you. So it was really hard kind of feeling like the odd duck of the family. But as I grew up and right before I started college, my mom finally kind of helped me go see a doctor and talk more about it. I think for a long time, she tried her best to help me herself. So just realizing that I needed more help was a really good Good thing that she helped me do. So I'm really grateful to her for that.
0: But it took all those years to realize that this was more serious than everybody thought it might be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Describe your family. You have siblings. How many of you are there?
1: Yep. I have an older brother and two younger sisters. I'm a middle child. And then my younger sister, we're all two years apart. So the three of us grew up together. And then my parents had another my little little sister when I was in high school so that was like a whole new thing of we had this new baby in the house and it was really fun but it was also kind of it was definitely different she felt a little more like a niece or a cousin or something than my sister but she's 20 now so as we've grown up she's brought so much joy to our family you know she's kept my parents young as they say and so yeah
0: and you mentioned that nobody else in the family had the same feelings of anxiety that you had even now looking back at say grandparents or aunts and uncles nobody else had these kinds of symptoms um, my
1: grandfather on my mom's side definitely struggled with anxiety and depression i don't think he was ever formally diagnosed with anything but you know definitely went through some times where he experienced some dark Times I know my mom has told me so, and then on my dad's side of the family, my grandfather also struggled with some anxiety. So it's definitely within the family. I know for my siblings, my little sister, the 20 year old, she does struggle a bit with anxiety as well. And she's getting some therapy for herself. And it's really good that I can kind of help her through her transition into adulthood. I know that was really difficult for me. So Being able to be there for her has helped. But until she was, I think she was around the same age as me, I would say maybe eight, nine years old, I started to notice some things that I was like, oh, you know, like I remember struggling with that. So I would talk to her about it. At that time, I was in my late 20s, early 30s. And that's when I felt like maybe I can use my experience to help her. But up until then, no,
0: I really felt
1: like the odd one out of the family. So,
0: so, What's that term, 2020 hindsight? Those things we wish we yeah. knew. What do you wish as an adult now that could have been a response, say, from your parents way back when? Like, what are some of those things that you've noticed in your little sister that your parents maybe didn't pick up on? Yeah,
1: I. It's almost if you don't go through something it's harder to relate to someone that is experiencing it and I think because my mom doesn't struggle as much with it as maybe my sister and I do it's a little bit harder for her to relate and be able to pick up on things. I know she definitely still picks up on a lot, you know, just through her own struggles. I think we all have mental health that we need to address and take care of our mental health just as much as our physical health. My dad and mom both, I think, at times struggle with their mental health, like we all do, I think. But I think it's a little bit more difficult for them to pick up on those signs because they might not have gone through it the same. I don't know if that makes sense. but
0: So what are some of those subtle signs that now you pick up on? And other people like your sister.
1: I noticed, especially when she would come over to my house and stay the night, she would start to get really anxious around bedtime. You know, where am I going to be sleeping? What she needed to have certain things, certain ways. And I remember as a child myself, everything had to have a place. And if it didn't, I was very anxious about it. And so that's why staying elsewhere at outside of my own home was so difficult. So I noticed that type of a sign in her as well as just the need for controlling as much as she could around her. And it, it's very hard, especially I think as a child, you know, we don't have much control because we're still growing and we need to look to our parents and other caregivers in our life to guide us and help us make decisions, we don't have as much control. And I think for some children, it's really hard. I actually recognize a little bit of that in my youngest son, just with certain things, it's really hard for him to give up control. And that is a a sign of anxiety, just really trying to control your surroundings is, I think, something that I definitely pick up on in others now
0: as a sign. Is that something you could even pick up and say a very young child?
1: You know, it can be really difficult, especially toddlers going through that, like the terrible twos and threes, you know, is it that, or is it anxiety? And it's, it can be really difficult. And I think as children grow older, those signs will definitely become more prominent or you'll notice them more if they do struggle. Looking back, my two boys were very opposite in personality. My older one is a lot more like my husband, very laid back, you know, go with the flow. And my younger one's a lot more like me, likes to plan and likes to know what's going to happen. And so looking back, comparing the two, my younger one really was kind of like, Oh, is this his personality? You know, maybe he just has a stronger personality than my firstborn as he was going through his toddler years of really being that stubborn, you know, we would call him our wild one. He was just, and he has a lot of energy. And so, so yeah, we did struggle for a little while of trying to figure out how to get through those toddler years.
0: I'm curious now about you, as you moved into your teenage years, did more signs of anxiety or different signs of anxiety become apparent? Did things become even more challenging? Definitely. I think they did become more challenging and
1: also a a little more easier at the same time. And I think that's because I was growing up and, I had a little more freedom, so I, I felt a little more in control, which eased the anxiety. However, I didn't really know how to make, let's say, like healthy choices of ways to cope with the anxiety. So for a little bit of a time period, you know, just kind of I don't, experimented with the wrong crowd and just was like wanting to feel accepted. And so it was a bit of both. And then going into college, that was, I think, when I really began to struggle with the transition into adulthood and the what am I going to do with the rest of my life?
0: So going into college was a challenging transition for you. Mm -hmm. And of course, the the security of your own home, your own room, your own bed suddenly Mm -hmm. been taken away from you. And on top of that, though, you were probably excited about being on your own yeah yeah that definitely was
1: was part of it and i think the feelings of the overwhelming feelings of what am i going to do with my life sort of took away from the excitement of i think what most people experience as they're starting college and so that definitely was a little difficult
0: You mentioned that your mother had taken you to a therapist or found a therapist for you. Was that before you went to college or when you were in college?
1: That was right as I was starting. Yeah. So I did a semester of college and during that first semester, I just really struggled. And so that's when I went to the doctor with her and that was the first time I was prescribed some medication And so that began my journey with medication and therapy. I think I saw my very first therapist at that time as well. So
0: can you describe what it was like for you that made her want to take you to the doctor? Were you having symptoms that you'd never had before? I think I was
1: just at a point of desperation where I just was like, I feel so crummy that I need something to help me and I don't want to feel like this and live like this. So I think I definitely was at a point where I wanted help. And so I was really looking forward to figuring out what was going on. So yeah, that definitely played a part, part in that.
0: And what do you mean about feeling so crummy? I had
1: just such a hard time getting out of bed, eating. I just was sad all the time and I, I didn't know why, you know, I, I just thought maybe I'm just overwhelmed and stressed with college and, but it just was just all these emotions. And I felt like I could never catch a break. It was always feeling like I had to put on a smile, you know, when I was out with friends or family members, but inside I was just a mess and not happy at all. So it just felt really trapped, like a trapped feeling.
0: Okay. So you were describing that as a child, you are often anxious, mm-hmm. but were these new feelings for you, the feelings of depression? They were in a way, I think mainly because
1: compared to when I was younger, growing up, it was more, they didn't linger as much. I kind of had times where I would be anxious, but then once I got back into my routine and Growing up, I definitely had a routine with school and the church I was involved in. So that kind of helped stay on track, but being in college and kind of more on my own, I didn't really have that family routine to fall back on. It was more, oh, you're on your own (laughs) and you got to figure it out. So
0: so your feelings of anxiety were really up, Mm -hmm. but it led to you feeling really down. Yeah, Seeing that therapist and being put on a medication, was the medication for depression or anxiety or was it for both?
1: It was for depression because I was feeling more of the sadness and lack of joy and all of those things that used to make me happy didn't anymore. And I just really felt more of those feelings that what we focused on first was the depression part. So that was a medication to treat depression at that time
0: did the medication work and did the therapy work? And I guess I'll add, did the combination of the two work?
1: Right. You know, for a little while, I think they did definitely nowhere near what I really needed to fully get back to myself. I think it was more of a, almost like a bandaid, like here, we're going to just patch you up and get you going again. And so I don't think it ever really got to the root of what I was really dealing with. So
0: did you live at home when you went to college? Did, yeah. Yeah. So kind of a band-aid, but you were able to move forward and graduate or were there ups and downs throughout your college years?
1: I ended up just doing one semester. I was dating my husband at the time and we were planning our wedding for, let's see, I was doing the fall semester and we were planning our wedding for the following summer. So we ended up getting engaged during my first semester of college and he was in remission for Hodgkin's lymphoma and he ended up having a relapse that january so we ended up deciding let's get married you know now so that i can be with you and walk through this with you and so instead of our wedding was planned for july we ended up planning our wedding in 2 days and we got married at my parents' house in the living room in february so i Ended up not going back to the college and just kind of went into caretaker mode with him. So that brought on a whole new level of anxiety and it almost distracted me from myself and it just kind of brought on a a different type of anxiety. But long story short, he's been in remission for coming up, I think on 15 years and he ended up having a stem cell transplant. And so we walked through about two years of that together through that time. Like I said, I was on like survival mode of helping him. So I, I didn't neglect myself, but I definitely put myself on the back burner. So once he got stable, I probably I don't know, very gradually within the next few years after he got stable, sort of fell back into the anxiety and depression that I was dealing with.
0: Had you been on the medication that you were prescribed when you were in college all that time?
1: I was. I it's been such a long road, but I think I would end up for a while starting the medication and then end up going off of it when I felt better. I think while I was going through that with him, I think I had stayed on. The original medication, and that I think is what essentially probably really helped get me through that. And then I got to the point where I'm like, okay, you know, I feel pretty good. And I think just the stigma around medication, and you know, oh, if you take a medication, you must be this. And I always tried to be like, How oh, can I get off this now? And I'd go to my doctor and say, you know, I'm doing really good. And So it was always, when can I get off this medication? And it took me many, many years to finally accept the fact that, oh, you know, this medication and therapy together is helpful and why mess with a good thing? And so, yeah, I definitely would go off and on. So that essentially, I think made things a little more complicated.
0: Well, that's quite an experience for the two of you to go through. I'm so happy to hear that he's been in remission for so long. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. wonderful. And so you went on to started a family mm-hmm. and did things go smoothly with both births in terms of your mental health?
1: With my firstborn, I suffered from pretty severe postpartum. I think because during my pregnancy I had ended up going off the medication that I was taking at the time with my two pregnancies. I felt great. And I think talking to my doctor after that hormones play such a big part in mental health as well, that during pregnancy, there's so many different chemical things going on and hormonal things going on that it ended up stabilizing me for that time. And then after my firstborn son came, I just basically hit rock bottom. I was recovering physically. And it was so much to handle mentally that I don't even, the first year I have such bits and pieces because I was just every day trying to survive. And I think the expectation of new mothers to, you know, this is such a happy time. And I can just remember thinking, why am I not happy and joyful right now that I have a new baby and that we've wanted for so long. It took us about seven years almost to even end up having him. And so it was all these feelings of guilt around why I didn't feel the way that I was supposed to feel. So I ended up going to the doctor again and getting back on the medication that I was taking before and It never really stabilized me. It was another, I think, antidepressant or anti-anxiety. And those medications just never really seemed to get me
0: to a point of true stability because of the root problem that hadn't really been discovered yet. And then when you had your second son a couple of years later, Mm -hmm. did you have a similar experience?
1: I did. It was similar, I think, because I had been through it and was a little more prepared routine-wise and knew what to expect. It wasn't as hard. I think what made it a little difficult was having to take care of my toddler and a newborn. That was pretty stressful. However, I did end up working closely with my doctor and therapist throughout that pregnancy and after of what medications were safe to take. And so I think being proactive really did help in the long run. But again, there was
0: always that root
1: that we just hadn't gotten to. So
0: you've mentioned this root cause a couple of times. Mm-hmm. You do get to it, don't you? I Yes. What happened?
1: My youngest son had just turned four and I had been feeling pretty good for a couple of years. As the boys were growing up, things were getting a little easier as far as taking care of them. And I just began to feel a lot better. And because of that, I had ended up again, weaning off medication, not seeing a therapist, thinking again, I got this. I can do this and be a quote unquote normal person, um, without realizing it, I fell into a manic episode where I experienced psychosis for the very first time. I do remember that first time I went to see a doctor with my mom back when I was in college, the doctor mentioning bipolar, not diagnosing me at all, but just kind of going through different symptoms and types of mental illness, but I wasn't diagnosed. So when I began experiencing these symptoms, just feeling euphoric and really kind of starting to exhibit some characteristics that my family began noticing something is not right with Christina and they weren't really sure what to do. So I do remember one incident, my son had just turned four and he had come in one evening, he couldn't sleep. And so he said, Oh, I'm thirsty mom. So I ended up taking him downstairs to get him a drink of water. And I did not realize at the time I really wasn't sleeping much. My mind was just go, go, go all the time. And I just felt like I have so much energy. I want to do this and I want to do that. And, you know, I just would clean the house and was doing so much things at once. So I had all this energy and I took him down to get a drink and it was probably 2 a.m. And since I had all this energy, I was like, do you want to play? And he was like, okay. So we're downstairs playing and my husband came down and was really confused thinking, why are you up at two 30 playing? He's supposed to be in bed. And so I just remember thinking, well, if he wants to play and I'm not very tired and he doesn't seem tired. Those were little things that began happening that really made my husband question what was going on. So yeah, those types of things, you know, I was going out with friends, staying out really late, coming home late. My husband thinking this isn't really like her. And then my sister who I'm really close with started recognizing some of the other signs when I would talk to her because I had all this energy, I would just talk nonstop and she would try to talk with me. And I just kept going. She said, it was like talking to a wall. You just kept talking. And even if I tried to say something, you just plowed on through and I couldn't have a conversation with you. So those are some of the signs that my family started to recognize.
0: And you mentioned that you weren't sleeping, but you thought you were sleeping.
1: Yeah. It's funny because even remembering, I think my perception of time began to be really distorted. And because I just had all this energy all the time, it was hard for me to, to end up sleeping. So I think I would end up laying in bed, but my mind just going, 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 and not really ever shutting down?
0: Was there an incident that sort of uh, crossed the line, let's say? I mean, some of these incidents sound like they did cross the line, but was there one that really stood out?
1: Yeah, my husband and I had done foster care before we ended up having our children. So, we had a foster son that we had previously fostered that needed some help, so we had him come stay with us again when the boys were younger. And this is right around during the time that I began to fall into that manic episode. So he had stayed with us for a couple of months and then had ended up moving on. But during that time, I got into the habit of locking the door when I would go into my room or to change or use the bathroom or whatever. So one morning was getting ready. We were going somewhere, but I was getting ready. So I ended up locking the door and I thought, you know, I'm going to take a nice bath and relax. I opened up this bubble bath and it smelled amazing. I think because my senses were so heightened from the mania. So I ended up pouring a little bit in and then it just smelled so good that I was like, I'm just going to dump the whole bottle in. And so my husband, I think, started to smell this intense lavender, whatever smell coming from the bathroom. We had a a nice jacuzzi tub. So I'm turning on the jets and all my senses are just heightened. I can remember thinking this feels so great. I bet I could breathe underwater still. I have this superpower that I think that people can breathe underwater. We just don't know because we're afraid to do it or something. That was what was kind of running through my mind. So my husband smelled that intense smell and was thinking, what is she doing? We're getting ready to go somewhere. She doesn't usually take a bath at this hour. And so he tried coming in, but the door was locked. So he got really nervous and I don't remember him banging on the door. I, I don't remember hearing that at all, but he said he was banging on the door, trying to ask me to come open it and what was going on. So when he finally did end up getting in, that's when he found me trying Just tell him that I could breathe underwater. And he kept saying, You you can't breathe underwater. So that's when he got really scared and ended up calling my sister and asking her to take me to the hospital. I remember my sister coming over and trying to help me get dressed. And I was just kind of like, What's going on? And going from feeling really scared to feeling like, Oh, this is really fun. I get to spend the day with my sister. I think I thought we were going to go shopping or something. And I just was completely disengaged from reality. It was November of 2017 that I was admitted to Spring Harbor Hospital and ended up staying there for almost three weeks and was diagnosed with bipolar and finally began to stabilize on some of the medication that I started. It was still really confusing trying to piece out why I was even there, because it did take quite some time for my brain to stabilize. And even after being discharged from there, it was right before Christmas. I actually was there for Thanksgiving. So right before Christmas, I was discharged and came home and people, friends and family were bringing meals over and just kind of trying to be there. And I still was confused as to what even had happened. So that was really difficult to understand and explain to people after coming home and trying to get back to normal. I fell again, usually with bipolar, what happens is from a manic high you then can dip into these really low depression lows. So that's exactly what ended up happening to me as I began to just really feel that sadness and that anxiety come back and, struggled to function daily, struggled to take care of the kids, just felt like I really had no purpose. And so when I did get discharged from Spring Harbor, I was left with a list of medications and a therapist. So for the next year, it was basically trying this medication. That one's not really working. Well, let's try this medication. And and then going through therapist after therapist to try to find one that I got along well with and that worked for me. So, after about a year, I finally was talking to a friend who told me about a psychiatrist that specialized in bipolar disorder and maybe he can help you with your medication <laughs> trying to get that worked out. I ended up contacting him and really really got along well with him. I loved how he explained things. He was really good at that and He really knew each medication and more in depth than anyone else I'd ever talked to any other medical provider. So, so then I ended up starting a different cocktail of medications. And I also found another therapist that specialized in anxiety and OCD. I thought, I don't think I've ever really struggled with OCD, but she basically helped me discover different ways that I had struggled and because it's such a wide spectrum of different ways of struggling with OCD. So she helped teach me about that. So I slowly began to really understand my diagnosis and then get to the point of accepting it, which definitely didn't happen overnight. It took a year or two to really get to that point.
0: And also Um, you've described over many years that you would start to feel better and think, okay, I can get off the medication. I don't really need a therapist." Mm-hmm. But at this point that you're talking about, y- you finally realized, it seems that you definitely had to have a treatment plan and you had to stick with it. Exactly. Yeah. So you took control. You became your own advocate, maybe? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And that was the turning
1: point really for me was that, was realizing that I need to advocate for myself and and accept this and work towards where I want to be, get to where I want to be. So. Yeah. And with that team, my psychiatrist and uh, therapist, and even my primary care physician, all working as a team as well, just really, I felt like, okay, I have this team behind me. I need to be involved. And because I think for a while I had felt this doctor should know what I need or this, but until I began to really understand it for myself, I couldn't really explain what I needed. (laughs) So it's working all together that really can have the best outcome.
0: Well, so you had multiple diagnoses, but at the core was the bipolar.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Could you tell us what what are your diagnoses?
1: So I originally was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and then depression. And I think I was never really diagnosed with OCD, but I did receive some therapy and treatment for that, which really has helped. The official diagnosis that I do have now is the bipolar disorder. So after accepting that diagnosis, I went out and read books and started to research about it and get to know how to live with it. And I think that all of those things, in addition to the medication that has helped stabilize me is what
0: essentially has saved my life. And it's been a couple of years now. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your coping mechanisms and what are the things that you have to watch out for? I definitely have to keep track of sleep. That's definitely can be
1: a trigger. If I start to not sleep as much, that can affect how I function. And even in terms of feeling that those mania symptoms, because I do still sometimes feel a little more energetic than other times. Like there was a time about two years ago that I was starting to lean towards the whole I've been doing well. It's been a solid year on these medications. You know, I'll, talk to my doctor and I won't wean off anything without a physician's approval and I'll do it the right way. So I did start to wean off of one, but because I was really vigilant about keeping track of how I was feeling, I ended up catching myself feeling those symptoms coming back on of the mania and then going right to my doctor and saying, okay, nope, we've got to go back to that dosage. So that was a time I felt really proud of myself catching that. And my family saw it too, but they did their best to try to (laughs) gently say, Oh, you might want (laughs) to check things out. And for a little while I was like, Oh no, I'm okay. But I ended up getting the point where I was like, no, you're right. And so I think in addition to that team I have behind me, I have my family and specific friends that know about my diagnosis and know the signs to watch for. So one of the things that I do is especially my husband, if he says, I've noticed you missed your medication yesterday, like you need, to just be aware of that rather than get defensive like I have in the past. I'm like, okay, you're right. So having those people hold me accountable is part of what helps.
0: And they hold you accountable, but you've given them permission to do that. Yes. Which I think is important because family members, oftentimes they do things out of love, but they don't quite know how to approach in a way that makes you want to act positively. Does that make sense? It does.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does. It is hard because, you know, I've had times where my mom will call me every day and just be like, how are you doing? Or it's always, I think, really hard, especially with mental health or or mental diagnosis is it's invisible. You know, you can't see it. It's not like you're trying to help someone with a broken leg, like, oh, come over and clean your house for you or I'll do things that I know you can't do right now. The person is able to walk, able to live, but they have this condition where I can imagine it being really difficult for some friends and family members of loved ones that do have a mental health condition, know how to help them. But some of the things that people have done for me that have been really helpful is just listen and not try to be a problem solver all the time. My side of the family is very like, let's just solve this, figure it out and move past it. But sometimes you just can't, you just have to just be there. So yeah, I think one of the things that has gotten me to where I am today is that my family and certain friends of mine, just, they don't give up. I have a friend that will call and check in periodically and just be like, it's, I'm just here checking in. At first I was kind of annoyed. I was like, yeah. oh, I'm fine. <laughs> but knowing that she's not going to give up in the times when I am not doing fine, that comes back and I'm like, okay, she's there. I know that I can count on her.
0: And it sounds like you and your husband have a very strong supportive relationship.
1: Yeah, we definitely do. Yeah. He's he's a saint. I mean, the stuff that he's had to put up with, I'm like, oh, <laughs> you're a pretty good guy. So he's I'm going to keep them.
0: (laughs) Well, so you're doing really well in this moment. And in fact, we have to congratulate you because you were chosen Mrs. Maine American recently and you're on your way to Las Vegas later this year.
1: I am. Yeah. I entered a pageant this past October after talking with a friend that I met on Facebook and I thought huh, this is something that I've never done. And I think for a while, I've been wanting to get involved with an organization that really helped my family during the time that I was going through my hard time. And that was NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, who has a chapter in Maine. So NAMI Maine, they have some classes for families of loved ones that struggle with the mental illness to take, to learn more about how they can help them. So that's what my family did. And, and even the resources that NAMI had given me personally, I really was thinking, ah, it would be really cool if I did this beauty pageant and was able to have this as a platform to bring awareness to mental health, to be able to share my story, to be able to help advocate for mental health through working with NAMI Maine. So I've been able to have some really neat opportunities through that. I actually took a course a couple months ago to be able to share my story at various venues or schools. I actually shared this past spring at SMCC in one of their psychology classes. And it's really neat how sharing my story brings some healing to me and helps remind me that recovery is a lifelong process. It's not like you go through something and you're recovered and it's over. I really realized that it's a daily Thing that I have to choose to, to continue and to keep going with my treatments and seeing my therapist and staying on top of my mental health in order to continue living a fulfilling life. So,
0: so your family went to NAMI and participated in some of the support programs for family members, yeah. and then you became involved and they helped you put together your story so you could present it to the public. Yes, exactly. Is that then your platform as Mrs. Maine American? You talk about your story and trying to give people a better understanding of what it's like to live with a mental illness to help remove the stigma. Yes, all of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: Well, good for you. We're going to have to wind up now, but you've given us all kinds of wisdom, (laughs) as well as a deep dive into basically your soul. Any final words that you would like to leave people with?
1: I would say never give up, never give up on yourself. And if you have a friend or family member struggling, never give up on them because no one is a lost cause. And no matter how long it takes, there's always hope. And there's so many treatment options and things available, resources available today that I don't even know, like 20, 30 years ago, weren't
0: available. And so, yeah, never give up. Thank you for that advice and for sharing your story with us. A remarkable story, a remarkable woman. Thank you. You're welcome. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Catching Your Memories podcast. Many thanks to Christina Erday for sharing her story with us. If you would like to learn more about NAMI Maine and the services it offers, visit namimaine.org. That's N-A-M-I Maine m-a-i-n-e. If you would like to read a transcript of this episode or leave a comment, go to catchingyourmemories.com podcast. Be sure to come back next month for another episode of Catching Your Memories. And if you have stories or memories you would rather not share in a podcast, but would like to preserve for yourself or your family, I also record personal interviews. You can learn more about that at catchingyourmemories.com or send me an email diane at dianeatwood.com. This podcast was created, produced, recorded, and edited by me, Diane Atwood. Catching your memories, the interview of a lifetime.